Children may be dismissed with our volunteers in the back to Children's Church. And for those of you who remain, I will invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We are continuing our series in Philippians, and we are now in our next to the last look at what God is teaching us in this book about those things which are of surpassing worth. Ultimately, it is about the surpassing worth of the Lord Jesus Christ, but from him flow many things. And we'll be looking this morning at the surpassing worth of generosity. So Philippians chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 14 through 20. This is God's word. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Lord Almighty, Send your spirit to take your word and apply it to our hearts and our lives. If we come on our own, in our own strength, with our own wisdom, oh Lord, no doubt we will twist this, misunderstand this, ignore this. But when you work, your word always accomplishes your purposes. So accomplish those purposes in us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is generosity exactly? Is, Is it that thing that preachers talk about when we're getting into the budget year and it's time to pledge all the right things? So that we can do all the things? Is it, is, it, is it something that's motivated by guilt or shame? You know, there's nothing wrong with pledge drives and whatnot, but there are perhaps wrong ways to do them. Is, it, is generosity just the, the, the expectation that when a need arises, whether a social need or need in uh, in our communities, or out there in the world, when there are disasters that strike or social unrest, that there's, is generosity just the expectation that when needs arise, you will rise up and respond? Is generosity a certain percentage? Or is it just for those who have the means to put forth great uh, financial resources? Is it, 
is generosity just limited to certain areas of life? Just church or the Red Cross or when your neighbor needs to borrow the tools again and he still hasn't returned to the old ones. Like, is generosity just like certain areas of life or is it something bigger than that? The Apostle Paul has received in prison an incredible gift from the, the church in Philippi. Uh, they had not been able to provide him this gift until now, even though they had tried. It took Epaphroditus a long time to, to get it to him, even at the, the, the nearly the cost of his own life, for he came ill in trying to get this gift to Paul. And Paul has thanked them profusely in little bits and pieces all throughout this letter, and here he's thanking them again. But Paul, being the teacher that he is, doesn't just want to be content with a thank you. He wants to encourage that grace of generosity in them so that they will continue to bear that fruit. And so ever the teacher, he teaches them about what it is they've done pointing out to them the the traits and the characteristics of generosity so that they would take note and continue in it, not just in how they treat Paul, but in how they treat one another and the world around them. And so we too can benefit from this. What is generosity? I don't always do this, but sometimes it's good just to do a broad survey And this isn't complete, but I do have seven characteristics of what generosity is. And no, we will not spend an hour on each one, though we probably could. But just, I want to give us an overview of what gospel, Christ-centered generosity really is. So we have seven things, and we'll just go through them verse by verse. The first thing I want you to see is that generosity is a fruit of, of the Spirit. You, you see this in verse 14 where Paul says, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Their, their generous gift was an overflow of their kindness to Paul. Now, sometimes we don't really understand what kindness is. We, we confuse being kind with being nice. We settle for being nice because we want to keep the peace. We don't want to rock the boat, and so we, we wave to people, or we nod our heads, or we say kind, kind-ish things to them. Good day. How are you? Fine. How are you? And we're just nice, but, but niceness is not kindness. Kindness is, is something that we see in the Lord Himself. The Lord's kindness the scripture says, leads us to repentance. His kindness moves towards those in need, moves towards those with lack, and and produces something good and wonderful in them. And when kindness is at work in us, as the Spirit bears fruit in our lives, we see that kindness moves us to move towards those in need. 
This is what the Philippians did. They were far away. Paul was in prison. They could have just prayed for him. They could have just sat around in their small groups and gone, that's a terrible thing. Have you heard about Paul? So sad. But they, they weren't content to just stay where they were and hope for the best. They were generous. And in their kindness, they moved towards Paul, towards him in his need. And they collected a gift. And they recruited one of their own to, to make the treacherous journey to him, to give it. This, this generosity isn't... Is it simply something that we do to check off a box? It is the overflow of Christ in us. Do you think about generosity this way? Is is your generosity the overflow of Christ in you? Does it move you to step towards those in need? Or are you content with being nice? Oh, we can pray for those who are grieving. But what would it look like for us to step into their lives and offer help and aid in their need? I've seen some of you do this in remarkable ways. That's generosity. Generosity, it's not just something you check off the box. It is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a fruit of kindness. Generosity also shares the burdens of others. This is what Paul is saying again in verse 14. It was kind of you to share my trouble. It wasn't just, it was kind of you to send some nice things to me. But in doing so, they took on his trouble as their own and sought to alleviate it. Sometimes we are content to just mind our own business. We hear about things. We know about things. Our neighbors are struggling. Those in the church are struggling. (laughs) The whole world is struggling. And, And we just... Sometimes I've just got too much of my own things to worry about. And so we we put our head down and we just focus on the things that concern us. But generosity, it shares the burdens of others. Generosity gets its hands dirty to help. This is what our Lord Jesus did, is it not? He could have remained enthroned in glory on high and said, it is so sad to see what has become of the human race. Those made in my image, look at what they've made of themselves. What a pity. But he didn't consider his high position something to be held onto, white-knuckled. But he made himself a servant, taking on the form of a man, came and bore our burdens, ultimately bearing in his body on the cross the sins of his people. Not because he had to, 
but because he saw our need. And he came and he took that burden on himself that we might not have to bear it. This is what generosity is. It is a reflection of who our Lord Jesus is. One who seeks and saves the lost. One who is kind-hearted to those who are weary and heavy laden. One who wants to give a rest to those who are just tired and worn out. And if we are content for generosity to be sending positive thoughts your way, it will never reflect the glorious generosity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does your generosity lighten others' loads? It's, it's a terrible thing to suffer. We've looked at suffering in this book and what Paul says about that. But it is an awful and terrible thing to suffer in isolation, to suffer alone. What does it look like for us to have eyes to see those who are burdened? Maybe with illness. Maybe with anxieties or worries. Depression and grief. Maybe those who are burdened with with just too much going on. Their their life is falling apart. Their job is demanding too much. Their their spouse is deployed. Their their family is, is, is is a... is gone and they don't have a support network, what does it look like for us to not be content to let those of our number bear those burdens alone in isolation, but to overflow with generosity and to do what Scripture elsewhere calls us to do, to be a people who bear one another's burdens. That's what generosity does. Do you have eyes to see somewhere that you can right now, today even, step in and help bear someone else's burden with them that they might not suffer alone? Generosity is a fruit of the Spirit. It shares others' burdens. It is also a partnership in the gospel. Paul talks about this here in verses 16 and 17, 15 and 16, where he says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Paul here is is reminding the Philippians that that their support of him, that their generosity to him, 
wasn't just a a one-to-one exchange. Oh, Paul's in prison. Here's some extra stuff for you, Paul. But that in their generosity to him, they were partnering with him in the ministry of the gospel, even with him locked away in prison. And he recounts how they've done this before. Even in Thessalonica, he says, Thessalonica, a a city where he was welcomed, where he was loved, where he didn't really need much of anything. And yet the church in Philippi said, no, we're still going to support you. When no other church would rise up to support that mission work, the church in Philippi was able to do it. And it wasn't just a one-way thing. Paul says it was a a giving and receiving that, that they, in being kind, in bearing his burdens with him, were joining him in the gospel ministry and becoming partners in the proclamation of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we think of generosity only in terms of of money. And we get into all kinds of little intramural debates. You know, is the tithe on the gross or the net? Or, you know, whatever arcane debate we want to get into. And not that those questions are unimportant, but they are secondary Third, fourth level questions to what generosity, what is at the heart of it? What it's all about? Why do we give? Why do we tithe? Why do we give offerings? Why do we support missionaries? Why do we support the work of this church? Why do we support CareNet? Why do we give time and money and resources and prayer and volunteer hours to these things? if it's not for the greater call of gospel ministry, to see the good news of who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what it is that He has done spread far and wide so that every ear is given an opportunity to hear who He is and what He's done. If it's just about money, then we are just a country club. Don't have anything to do on your Sundays? Support the work of Calvary Reformed and we can get together once a week and you don't have to worry about what you're going to put on your calendar every Sunday morning from 10 to 11.30 a.m. Because here we are. There's no golf. Sorry. TJ wants to have a disc golf course put around the church, but you know, you're going to have to increase your contribution and dues for that. Now that... Our generosity to this ministry, to missionaries, to the other works that we encourage and support from Reformed University Fellowship, to CareNet, to the Potential Rescue, all of these, we support these because we We ought to support these because we believe that Jesus is doing something. He is seeking and saving the lost, and he is inviting us to participate in spreading that good news in how we care for the poor, in how 
we care for those in need, how we care for one another. And so our giving, whether financial or volunteer hours or whatever, it ought to reflect buy-in, if you will, to what it is we're about. Not checking a list, not joining a club, but participating with the Lord Jesus in gospel ministry. That's what generosity ultimately is. And as a result, generosity seeks heavenly treasure. It is a storing up of treasure in glory. Sometimes we can get tunnel vision on earthly things. What's the return on investment for that ministry? What, 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 I would, when I did campus ministry, I'd always get asked the question, well, how many conversions have you seen? I would say, well, ask me in 20 years because like, sometimes God's work is slow. Sometimes things sprout up and they wither away when the sun comes out. And sometimes the fruit that is born is overwhelming, but you don't get to see it in the short term. Sometimes we get tunnel vision on earthly things, on earthly measures. How nice is the building? How big is the staff? How many people are there? And generosity, gospel, Christian generosity, holds loosely to things, to money to possessions, to time. And it holds tightly to Christ. Because for the Christian, though we are weak and we falter and we fail to see this from time to time, for the Christian, our highest aim, our greatest joy ought to be to be with Him forever. Because to be with Him To be a servant in the household of God is better by far than to be the king of the world. Sometimes the world, the flesh, and the devil can trick us into thinking that all the things that we have here are the most important things. But a generous heart recognizes that all of these things are transient and they will pass away. But there is a greater, more glorious treasure that awaits the people of God. What what are the sorts of things then, when you're thinking about generosity, whether financial generosity or generosity of time or resources, what are the sorts of things that catch your attention? Sometimes I, I want to know, what, well, what have you accomplished? What, what has this ministry done? Or I want to think about you know, whether or not they've measured up to, to my standards of excellence. Have you done enough? And yet when Paul talks about generosity, he doesn't ever talk about it in those terms talks about it as as seeking the fruit that increases to your credit, 
It's not about my judgment of, of, of how productive that ministry is or whether or not it's meeting my expectation. It's it, what is being produced in the hearts of those there. Are they coming to know more and more, not that there are all these things that they need to do to earn God's love, but that they have been adopted into his family, that they are his beloved sons and daughters, that they have been given all the the privileges of the children of God. His spirit is poured out upon them and he sends them out as, as witnesses of his glory. Are we more concerned, in other words, with earthly measures? Or on the fruit of what God is producing in the hearts and lives of his people. Generosity holds loosely to our earthly things and it holds tightly to Christ and it looks even to him to determine what is worthy, what is of eternal value, what is heavenly treasure. Generosity is also a fragrant offering to God. It's a sacrifice. You see this in verse 18, where Paul says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Sometimes when we think about generosity, we don't want it to cost us too much. We want, you know, we want to support things, but, but not if it causes us to feel the pinch. And so we guard our own instead of looking to the needs of others. And Paul here has received this overwhelming gift. And he takes note that it, it cost them. Like they, they didn't have a whole lot to share to begin with. That they even sent anything was a testimony to their love for Paul and their love to the Lord. Epaphroditus risked his life to deliver it. This cost. And generosity, generosity is a meaningful sacrifice. You can think of Jesus sitting in the temple and his disciples are marveling at all the huge gifts that that people are throwing into the, the treasury boxes there. And Jesus says, pay no attention to them. They've got plenty more where that came from. But look at this widow who put two pennies in. In so doing, she gave everything she had. Now, generosity is not a reckless sacrifice. But it is a meaningful one. It is a sacrifice. It does cost. Which is to say, generosity generosity requires you to live by faith. That your God is good. That He is kind. That he cares for you. 
What is it that you hold on to so that you don't have to walk by faith? I like to hold on to my time. I want to be generous when it's convenient. Nobody goes to the hospital when it's convenient. Nobody gets that diagnosis when they've put it on their calendar as an appropriate time. Trouble doesn't wait until you've got all your ducks in a row to come calling. And sometimes I don't want to walk by faith that this is what the Lord has for you right now, Jeff. Leave whatever it is that you were doing that you thought was so important and go bear this burden with this person instead. What about you? What are you holding on to so that you don't have to live by faith? Paul encourages the Philippians that that faith is not in vain because generosity, not only is it a sacrifice, but it trusts God to supply all needs. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The reason we can be generous without fear is because our God is good and generous himself. But sometimes we confuse wants and needs. And when we don't get what we want, we think that God is somehow not good or not generous. This is why in the Old Testament, you see uh, God teaches people that, that they were to offer him the first fruits, not the last and the leftovers, but the first and the best. So when they planted their crops and the, the water, big watermelon came in, you didn't take the, I don't know if they planted watermelons, but just go with me on this. You know, they didn't take the watermelon and like, like, let's have a big picnic. They offered that up to the Lord in faith that God would continue to supply their need. Sometimes when we don't get what we want, we lose sight of all that God is giving us that we need. He always gives us what we need in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you may be thinking to yourself, I didn't need that diagnosis. I didn't need that person to back into my car. I didn't need the, I didn't need this trouble. Yet God is able to take these things and use them to mold us and shape us more and more in the likeness and image of his son Jesus. Because that more than anything is what we need. We who were made in his image But sin has entered into this world and it has corrupted us and it has tarnished and marred that image. And what we need more than anything is to be restored to what He created us to be. 
And he is working to do that and is supplying everything that we need to that end. That we might live by faith. That we might live as those who believe that Jesus is worth it. Becoming like him, being restored to him, living for him, all of that is worth it. Even if it means I get that diagnosis. Even if it means trouble finds me. Sometimes, though, we fall into a a reformed version of the prosperity gospel that says, if you learn all the theology just right, if you live all the things just so well, God God will reward you. Say that five times fast. God will reward you. And he'll give you the things that you want. A big house. A nice family with children who never misbehave. Good health and safety. No trouble at all. And yet, the Lord Jesus himself was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and and leads us in the way of everlasting. How is it that we've come to believe that, that... Something different is in store for us, this side of glory. He's called us to deny ourselves, take up a cross, our cross and follow him wherever he leads. To go out and make disciples of all nations, to be salt and light in this world, to be a city on a hill that all might know Jesus is great. Not that, not that Jesus gives all his people all the things that he, they want, but that Jesus is great. He is God. He is King. He is Lord. And he is working to fulfill such glorious purposes that he's going to have to make a new heavens and a new earth just to contain them. And so generosity gives because it trusts God to supply whatever it is we need. And all of this, all of this is for God's glory. Paul ends this little thank you note with the doxology. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And that really might be the most central point. Because when we talk about generosity, it's not just about money, but we like to, to we narrow it down to talk about money. And, and then we turn those questions about money back to us. What am I supposed to do? Do, do I need to sell everything I have and give it to the poor? I mean, I, maybe. I don't know. I don't want to say no. What if God is calling you to that? Well, but, you know, I have some things that I've been saving up for. Do I have to sacrifice that to, to help this other person? I don't know. Maybe. What's God calling you to do? But, like, we turn it back on us. Like, what, what, am, 
what about me, God? What about my things? What am I supposed to do? Where? And we, for, we lose sight that the whole point, all of this, our chief end is centered on His glory. And our highest joy is found in Him, not in the things, but in Him. All that we do, every kindness, every burden that we share, Every partnership in the gospel, every penny that we store up in heaven, every sacrifice, every moment where we're stepping out in faith, trusting God to supply his needs, all of that is for God's glory. Because we're seeing him work in us more and more. What it means to be like Jesus. This is why the New Testament doesn't talk a ton about tithing. Tithing just means 10%. And if you, if you want to know what a sacrifice is, take 10% off the top and see. I think it's a good model. It's a biblical model. But the New Testament doesn't talk about it a ton. Because Paul, when he talks about giving, talks about Cheerful giving, what you've decided in your heart. What is the outflow of it? Why are you doing it? To whom are you giving? What is your motivation? What is this all about? Why are we even talking about it? It is all for the Lord, for His glory, because we believe that He is great. So what are you living for? What are you giving for? What are you serving for? What Paul reminds us here is that all of this goes back to what God is doing. To take a people for himself to save them from their sins, to mold and shape them in the likeness of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might go out into this world as ambassadors for God Himself, announcing good news, that there is salvation, that there is peace with God through Christ. And when we understand what that means, Generosity will be the fruit that overflows in everything that we do, in all that we are. May it be so for the glory of God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, help us in this moment, Lord, uh, to turn our attentions to you. Or don't let the world, the flesh, or the devil distract us with secondary questions. Not now. Help us to meet with you. To be confronted with your kindness, with your generosity, with the good news of what you have done, with your glory, with your generosity. that is most evident in the sacrifice of your Son, our Lord Jesus, for sinners.
Lord, as you mold and shape your people more in his likeness and image, may we become a people who are more and more generous, that you might be glorified, that more people might come to know you, that the Lord Jesus, that his name would be great. We pray this in his name. Amen.